All right, grab your Bibles. Let's open up to Matthew chapter 5. We are diving back into our text for the Jesus Uncensored series. And so we will be reading a portion from the Sermon on the Mount. We will be in Matthew chapter 5, reading 17 through 20, those verses there. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a paperback one right there in front of you in that pew back. If you don't own one, Happy New Year. That's our gift to you. Fall in love with Christ in those scriptures. Take that home with you. Mark it up. Write your name in the front. When you get to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, say, He is majestic. All right. Upon the conclusion of the reading of the text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you respond with. All right. Beginning in verse 17, follow along. Have your eyes on Scripture. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore... Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. We're glad that you made it today. Is everybody warm? Did you get your cup of coffee and everything this morning? Staying warm is a full-time job right now, yes? Well, hey, um, we have ended our Advent season, and uh, we walked through Christmas carols, and uh, we had paused because we were in our series, Jesus Uncensored. And what we were doing is looking at the Sermon on the Mount. But before we do that, I've got a few more announcements. I didn't want to sort of bombard you with everything, but um, we've got a few important things coming up. Last week, I was out, and uh, thanks to Parker for leading us in a time of God's Word and everything last week, and we walked through, we've got a 30-day Bible reading challenge. And so if you weren't here last week or weren't able to pick up on that, we've got those out there at the lobby for you. And I tell you what, this morning's reading about the resurrection and everything is, it's just something happens when the people of God are reading the word of God together and walking through that. So I would encourage you to pick that up out in the lobby. And then also with it being a new year, um, there is a lot of new life that is being celebrated here at Westside from babies to um, the new birth of people becoming Christians and everything like that. So on January 28th, um, the last Sunday of the month, we're going to be having baptisms and baby dedications. And so it's just going to be a full time in the Lord. And so we've got a sign up sheet out there in the lobby. If you've got a little one and you want to dedicate them, we're going to be doing that. And if you're interested in baptism, maybe you have some questions about that. We actually do a baptism class. Walk through any questions that you might have. Would love for you to sign up and be a part of that. And then really there is one um, major announcement that we've been praying and planning for. And um, one of the things that I think is so crucially important when you look at the scriptures and one of the things that God says that he has created to display his beauty is marriage. And if there's anything that is under attack or struggling, uh, they actually have a word for people who are struggling in their marriage. Um, it's called married. <laughs> are we all here today? We good? Okay. And so what we've been playing, uh, praying for and planning is um, a marriage conference. And so uh, we actually have released this early to our community groups, and there's actually about 28 spots left um, for this. It's going to be at the landing, and um, it is going to be February 16th and 17th. So guys, look at me. Look up here. I just gave you a softball, all right, for what you need to get your lady for Valentine's Day, okay? There it is, all right? You know, like, it's done. It's done for you. Um, the cost is 150 per couple. That's going to include your lodging, your meals, everything like that. Now, listen to me. Look at me. 
What you love, you prioritize, okay? Most of you spend quadruple that on your kids' tap dancing lessons, and they're never going to make it on Broadway, okay? All right? I'm just going to confess that. Most of you spend that at Buffalo Wild Wings on overpriced wings, okay? So listen, I would, I would just pray and pray and urge you to be a part of that. Our speaker who is going to be coming is uh, Randy Garris. He's a professor at Ozark Christian College there. Um, uh, me, Parker, and Tyler had a conference call with him, and he said that through his years, he travels across, uh, across the country and does this. And I think it was about 1,200 couples he's counseled and put through this. So we're bringing in an expert for this, someone outside the body to be a part of this. And, and I just can't lay this before you enough. If there's anything as your pastor that I would beseech that you would make time for um, is something like this. And so you can sign up to be a part of that. Listen, what your kids need, what your family needs, what your friends need is they need for you to have a better marriage. That's just quite frankly it. And so we believe that these are the tools that we're going to equip for you to be a part of that. All right. So enough of the mushy stuff. You got your Bible in front of you. Okay. We are back into the Sermon on the Mount. And I tell you what, we have walked a journey Um, through this thing. I mean, we have covered everything from like sex to politics, like all the stuff you're not supposed to talk about, we have done. And what this is, is quite possibly the most famous sermon ever given, the greatest sermon ever preached, because it was preached by God himself. And what Jesus is doing is he is announcing that the king has come himself, and that the kingdom of God is breaking through the here and now. So before we dive back in and jump in through the verse by verse, what I thought would be helpful for us in the first Sunday of the year is to look back on this and see what we've done. Um, Maybe as a way of introduction, this will be helpful. Last weekend, my wife and I had the privilege and opportunity of being part um, of a marriage and just a sweet couple who've just joined our church and they've gone through the premarital and they're just an awesome group of kids who are starting this life together. And, And man, I tell you what, a lot of times being a minister, the Lord calls you to do things and he calls you to suffer for the sake of the gospel. So I had to go to Destin, Florida to do this marriage. I'm just doing what God called me to do, guys, okay? You know what I mean? But what was crazy is we flew out of Memphis, and it was, I think, 22 degrees that morning when we flew out of Memphis. And when we landed in Destin, it was 64 degrees and sunny. And I think it was actually six degrees here while we were there in Florida. But what was so odd was going from seeing, like, Christmas trees and, like, snow and ice on the ground there in Memphis to flying into Florida to seeing palm trees, like with Christmas lights on them and people with flip-flops and everything like that. And it was so, like, I never had the privilege of, like, being around and seeing something like that. But I was so taken back how in one single day, I was around entirely two different cultures. People who were bundled up and people who were, you know, boarding airplanes and angry and, ah, you know, the cold and everything, to just being in Florida and people were like, What's up, man? You know, 64 degrees down here. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year. And what was odd as I was thinking about that was that's really what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God. He's talking about an entirely different culture. Literally an entirely different way of life. That you can literally be around something that's taking place that seems so real, but rather live an entirely different way. And so I think it's helpful for us to remember and redefine what the kingdom of God is. We said that the kingdom of God is the reign of God through the people of God 
for the glory of God. That's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ is the ultimate authority. That Jesus Christ is good creator God. It is the reign of God, but here's what's outlandish about this. That it's the reign of God through the people of God. I know what you're thinking, me? Yeah, you, right? Through the people of God for the glory of God. And I think one of the best ways maybe to illustrate this and what will be helpful is um, by this picture, uh, this young lady by the name of Jojo Siwa, right? Because I don't know where you thought I was going with that. Jo- anybody familiar with Jojo Siwa, right? Yes, awesome. If you've got little girls in your household, then you know who Jojo Siwa is. She's a young lady who has become famous because of YouTube and Disney, like, right? So when your kid's spending all this time on YouTube, parents, you can't say, that's never going to amount to anything because they can actually make millions of dollars off of that. But she sings, she's got little bows, like you can buy all of her stuff. And so this Christmas, all Andy Grace wanted was just Jojo Siwa. I mean, bows, glitter, the whole entire thing. But here's what's interesting about this. If you ever come over to our house, and if you ever play Jojo Siwa with Andy Grace, um, I'll give you one guess as to who you will not be when you play Jojo Siwa. (laughs) You will not be Jojo Siwa, right? Because why? Because you are under the rule and reign of Andy Grace in that moment. And you will be and you will do what she, I put, I've had a bow, tried to put a bow literally on my head, right? Which is a feat in and of itself. I can't even be Jojo Siwa in my house. And I say that to say it this way. We actually set up our own kingdoms in our life. In our calendars, in our bank statements, how we live our life, we literally think that we are building our own kingdom. And what Jesus is saying through the Sermon on the Mount is, I have come to give you an entirely new way of life. But one of the things that I think is interesting and very misunderstood when the gospel is preached, oftentimes people think that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, as it's referred in the scriptures, is a place that we go when we die. That almost like the gospel is like this thing that we like get our ticket punched, make sure that we've got insurance, that when we know when we die, we're going to go to the kingdom of God, and that's it. And let me tell you, that is a very short changed, very short gospel. That's actually a very new concept in Western Christianity today. And here's really the big idea that I want us to understand and refresh ourselves as, as we dive back into this, and it's this. The kingdom of God is not just a place that I am going, but the kingdom of God is a life that I am living in the here and now. You see, Jesus even teaches us this when he prays. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Listen, just propose this question in your life. In the first Sunday of the new year, 2018, like this isn't a science fiction novel, it's 2018, right? That's crazy to think about. What would it look like if I could really change? Wow. What would it look like if my life was lived under the rule and reign of God? 
I believe that's what Jesus is teaching through the Sermon on the Mount. And what we'll see today is really sort of as we review, we're going to jump all over the Sermon on the Mount. But we're going to see really three predominant moves that we've walked through. We'll see the kingdom call, the kingdom challenge, and then a kingdom change. And so the first thing that really when we see when we jump back into the Sermon on the Mount is a kingdom call. And it says there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Very important to understand who Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount to. He's teaching it to followers, to his disciples, to his learners. Now, sure, there's maybe non-believers or people who, I mean, there's a lot of people around. But primarily, he's telling his disciples, this is the, is the way in which you should live. And that as any good king announces a kingdom, he announces the type of people that are going to live in that kingdom. And that's what the Beatitudes are. Look at what he says. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We said that that word blessed could actually be translated congratulations. Congratulations to who? The poor in spirit, the marginalized, the downtrodden, the failures. See, you've got to understand that we say this all the time at Westside. The Bible was primarily not written to you, but it was written for you. So you've got to understand how the first century hearers would have understood what Jesus was saying. That the kingdom of God was supposed to be this political thing that Jesus was supposed to set up. Because we're so different than people in the Bible. They're so outdated, right? You know what I mean? And they thought that this was going to be like a force that was going to be taken over. And that it was going to be for people who had pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. And worked really hard and deserved X, Y, and Z. And they didn't do this. And they didn't go there. And they didn't see that. And they didn't read that. And by God, we made it. And Jesus is here to set us free. Amen. We love Jesus, but we're mad about it, right? And he doesn't say that. He says, do you know who's going to enter into my kingdom? As Charles Spurgeon says, the doorway into the kingdom of God is low and you must stoop. It's for the broken and it's for the marginalized. That's who the call is for. So listen, here's the thing that you cannot play with Jesus. And don't do the self-pity thing with Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you don't know what I've done. You could never do anything. You could never use me. He does already know. And yet he still pursues you now. That's what's so beautiful about the kingdom call. Maybe this will help. Do you remember the uh, cartoonist Charles Schultz? The guy who gave us the infamous Peanuts cartoons, right? Mr. The author of Charlie Brown himself. As any good art is a reflection um, of an artist, when he passed away, Time Magazine wrote an article about him, about how his cartoons were actually a reflection of his life. And the article was really, really interesting because it talked about how his characters were always about a season in his life. And it says, Charles always loved the underdogs. I mean, Charlie Brown's baseball idol, Joe Schalbach, 
was the worst player in the pros. And he always talked about losing at love. Every major character has an unrelented love that's never been satisfied. Charlie Brown and the little red-haired girl, Lucy. Linus. Even Snoopy got dumped at the altar, right? We all remember that one. Happiness may be a warm puppy, but as Schultz always said, happiness actually isn't very funny. Schultz infused the strips with his lifelong feelings of depression and insecurity. He had his heart broken by a real-life red-headed young girl when he was young, and it showed how one could feel lonely even in a crowd. And then listen, don't miss this. This is how the Time Magazine article ended. You see, Schultz was a lover of losers. If you've never understood what the Beatitudes are, Jesus is saying this, I am a lover of losers. That's what Jesus is saying. And I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. Because maybe you're not like me, and maybe you haven't failed in every aspect of your life. But when you sit down and you evaluate what it is to be a mom and what it is to be a wife, what it is to be a husband, what it is to just work the grind and provide for your family, and you sit and you think of all the things that you should be and that you could have been, you are crushed with the weight of guilt. And what Jesus is saying is, that's where I meet you. There. My kingdom entrance is for people who have lost and for, and for people who have failed. You see, that's what's so interesting about the kingdom of God is what John Stott said, it's the upside down kingdom. It's the people who are marginalized, not the people who've worked the hardest, but the people who literally relinquish that strength and say, I can't do anything else anymore. But one of the things that we can't do is we can't leave the message there. Because that's good, and that's really, really good news. But we can't keep Jesus in a box, as we've seen all through the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he offends everybody, right? I mean, do you understand that we worship a man who was murdered, right? And then we're like, why is my life so tough as a Christian, right? Well, you worship a guy that got murdered. I mean, come on, you know what I mean? And so the next thing that we see, the move that we see in the Sermon on the Mount, is a kingdom challenge, Because we can't keep the message just there, though I think our flesh would really enjoy that. Because Jesus, yes, meets us where we are, but look at what he says. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Look at verse 48. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh Uh-oh. Here's what you can do. You can just get a pen and mark that out in your Bible. You can just go over that, right? You better storm the stage. You ever hear me say something like that, right? What does that mean? The word perfect means whole, right? Not perfection, but wholeness. But Jesus is challenging us. He's saying because of this kingdom call, because this call is so radical and this grace and this mercy is so unlike the world, it does something to us. It moves us. You see, listen, Jesus comes to us just right where we are, but he loves us too much to keep us there. And that's what's difficult. It's just the song that we sung. He's changing me day 
by day. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. This life that we are living, but we are changing. He is making us new. And oftentimes we say this thing about grace and we oftentimes almost glorify our past when we talk about our testimonies, who I once was. And yes, that is true and that is your story, but listen to me, that is not you now. That is not you anymore. And so the call brings a challenge with it. And he's constantly reshaping who we think he is and what life in the kingdom is. N.T. Wright in his book, The Challenge of Jesus, says it this way. The key thing was the inbreaking of the kingdom. Jesus was announcing the created new world, a new context. And he was challenging his hearers to become new people. And this new context demanded that. The citizens of this new world, he was offering a challenge to his contemporaries to a new way of life, a new way of forgiveness, a new way of prayer, a year of freedom, which they could practice in their own homes and villages right where they were in the here and now. You see, the kingdom of God is not just a place that I'm going to. It's a life that I'm living now, which tells me this. It's just what Parker said last week. That means that there are new rhythms. That means my life doesn't look like what it once did now that I live in the kingdom. So how about this? How about we do a little bit of an evaluation about how Jesus' kingdom challenges us? I ran across a blog article um, a couple of weeks ago, and it highly offended me, so I thought I should share it with you and offend everyone today. Do you want to do that? But it was an excerpt from a book that's coming out, and it says, Eight Signs That Your Christianity Is Too Comfortable. Because listen, oftentimes I have coffee with people or sit down, have a counseling session with people, and I ask them what Jesus is doing in their life, how he's refining them, what he's doing. And sometimes I get an answer like, I'm good. Just good right now, you know? Hebrews 12.1 says, God disciplines those whom he loves. You know what James McDonald says? All of God's kids are getting it. You know what I mean? So if you're ever like, oh, no, I'm fine. I'm worried for you, okay? And I'm so worried about this brand of Christianity that puts everything in a box, ties the bow for you, gives it to you, you punch your ticket, and tells you how to spoon feed everything in your life, and there's no tension there. Because when I read the New Testament, and I see guys like Peter, and I see guys like Paul. Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, the book of Romans, this guy did. And he said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. A wretched man that I am, who can save me but Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior? There's always a struggle that's taking place. Eight signs that your Christianity is too comforting. How about the first one right out the gate? There's absolutely no friction between your Christianity and your politics. You here? Are we here today? Right? We good? Listen, if you tell me that your political views have no friction with your Jesus Christ, then your Christ is not Lord, okay? Because Jesus did not come to set up a Republican party or a Democratic party. He came to set up the kingdom of God. And if I hear another preacher say that we don't need to preach about politics, then I'm going to lose my mind. Have you read the Bible? It's about kings and kingdoms, okay? 
It's about Jesus Christ declaring himself Lord over the entire universe. And listen, I'll offend everybody in here. Do you know what sickens me about the Republican Party? The prostitution of the church. Running on platforms that you know will get you votes and doing nothing about it. And oh wait, I got something for the Democratic Party too. If I hear somebody else criticize the church of Jesus Christ, I'll lay hands on you, bro, in the name of Jesus. Do you know how the church of Jesus Christ is described in the scriptures? The bride of Christ. And if you criticize my wife in front of me, we're going to have big problems. So how about our allegiance is to Jesus? And you better, if you don't have attention when you get in that booth and mark that box, then you need to evaluate the Jesus that you worship. That's just number one. Here we go, number two. (laughs) There are no paradoxes, tensions, or unresolved questions in your faith. No paradoxes or tensions. Like in our Bible reading plan today, it was 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the resurrection. I don't know if you caught this. But Paul's like trying to describe what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. And then finally he says, uh, it's just a mystery, right? Like I can't fully explain this thing to you, man. It's a mystery. Be weary of anyone who can say, oh, yeah, totally. I totally know how the universe was created. Oh, yeah, I got that totally figured out. And I'm so like, so over, like how old's the earth and this and that. And then you get to Hebrews and the writer of Hebrews says, we believe by faith that God created everything. There's a tension there. And like, when did Peter get it, right? You know, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Peter's like, you're the Christ. Nails it, right? On the same page in your Bible, Jesus calls him Satan, right? Then he still like runs away, denies Christ, does all this stuff. And then you think, oh, he's got it. Until you read Galatians. When Paul's like, oh yeah, I had to sit down with Peter and we hashed it out. Face-to-face confrontation, man. Like when did Peter really ever arrive? Please be weary of people who say they have arrived in this journey. One of the things you will hear me say often and anybody that mounts this pulpit is this. I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not going to put it in a box for you and solve all the tensions in your life. Number three is this. Your friends and coworkers are surprised that you're a Christian. I mean, that's probably a problem, don't you think? I mean, a conversation sparks up and your friend's like, oh my gosh, I, I had no idea that you even loved Jesus or that you went to church. That should be a great big problem. Because when I read the book of Acts, oh God, give us the book of Acts. I feel it in my bones, man. I want this so bad, I could spit fire up here. That any town they went to, how crazy would it be if the kingdom of God broke in Popper Bluff so much that like the call of the wild shut down. Like strip clubs shut down and we like love these people, give them jobs, invite them into the community because we understand what Paul said in 1 Corinthians that such were some of you, prostitutes and all of these things. Such were some of you, but not now. Now you're in the kingdom of God and now you found a family and now you are living a different way of life. There should be something that distinctly marks your life and it's your love for Jesus. Number four is this, you never think or never remember the Sunday sermon. I didn't write that. The the article guy wrote that, okay? I thought it was great though. Because here's what, like I know what we do, and and listen, I even do this. I got very humbled. I preached at a youth event over um, Thanksgiving, 
And I, was, I, I opened on Friday and then closed on Sunday, and there was another speaker on Saturday night. And he said some heretical stuff, and it was really hard for me not to storm the stage and take the mic, but I didn't. But it was very hard for me to sit there and listen because I do what you do. Bill needs to hear this. Hope my husband's listening to this right now, right? right? And we never ask, what's Jesus saying to me now? Now. God's word always, I mean, the descriptions of God's word all through, the, uh, all through the Bible, that it cuts through, that it's like a hammer that breaks hard rocks, that we should wrestle with these things. Number five, no one at your church annoys you. It's okay to laugh at that. That's fantastic, right? Because why? Look at the disciples, literally the people that Jesus are giving this sermon to. They were tax collectors. They were farmers. They were political zealots. They were from all spectrums, all socioeconomic backgrounds, even different races. So that means to tell me that when we live the kingdom of God and that when we enter into community groups and serve with people, listen, look at me, listen. If there's one thing that I can promise you at Westside, it's this. You're going to get your feelings hurt. We never claim to be a perfect church. I think we're a good church, and I think we're trying, and we love Jesus. But there is no perfect church. And the world tells you that if there's any confrontation, any confrontation at all, then you need to run. It's not good. And the Scripture speaks of something entirely different. Remember, the kingdom of God is the reign of God through the people of God. And it's not perfect. And there's going to be people that rub us differently. But at the end of the day, it is for the glory of God. The next one is this. You never feel challenged, only affirmed. That's something that's very new within like Western, right? Like 12 positive thoughts to start your day, right? Right? How about Jeremiah 17, 9? Your heart's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? Have a great day, right? (laughs) It's just, and, and listen, we're all for affirmation. We see that Jesus, look, Jesus came in what? Grace and truth. You're only going to appreciate grace when you understand truth. And you will only understand real truth when it's packaged in grace. So we are constantly being challenged and being made new while we are being affirmed, Right? And then the next thing is this. You've never had a truth and love conversation with a friend. That's real. You've never had a truth in love conversation with a friend. If you're really living this and you're really allowing the kingdom of God to penetrate your life, which means that you're allowing people to enter into your life, then that means that you're going to have to have conversations with people. And people are going to have to have conversations with you. And listen to me, if you're the one always giving advice, always correcting, always this and that, then you've set your life up and built walls to where you're the one who's looking down and nobody else has access to you. Right? We're all constantly being challenged, constantly being held accountable. That's the way that God has set this up. But the difference is, listen, here's the difference. That acceptance is never the issue on the table. We're always accepted upon what Jesus Christ has done for us in this community. And how unloving would it be if you understood and knew that someone had a tumor or had something in their life that was killing them and you did not tell them that? How unloving would that be? 
You see, when the kingdom of God breaks through, it does make us uncomfortable. And then the last thing is this. No one in your church could comment on any area of growth that they've seen you in your life. When I read that, I was like, because listen, we're up here. My stuff is on blast for y'all. That's one of the hardest things about being up here, man, right? Well, Jason was off on that today. Yeah, well, so are you, man. You know what I mean? That's what's hard. That's what's hard about being a pastor. And when I read that, we were on the thing before we took off. And I read it again, and I thought, God, do it in me, man. Do it in me. Do it in me. I need the marriage conference, man. I need that. I need the 30-day Bible reading challenge, man. I need truth and love conversations, man. I need this stuff. Listen, nobody's ahead of anybody in this thing, right? No one's yelling at anybody. We're all dragging each limbs blown off, bloody massacre. But listen, we're not going to leave anybody behind. We're not leaving anybody behind in this thing. Because if the kingdom of God is real, and if it's breaking in through the here and now, then we are pushing, we are pulling, we are affirming, we are correcting. This is what the challenge of the kingdom call does in our life. And here's simply what I'm trying to say. Jelly on the bottom shelf. Healthy things grow. Healthy things grow. Do you know what I do with our kids? I don't sit them in a chair and put a plan out and yell at them to be taller. Longer hair to grow, right? I don't yell at them to grow. What, what do you do? You provide an environment. You feed them. Listen, health precedes growth. And I don't ever want you to think that I'm just saying, you got to grow, you got to grow. You gotta. This comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. He calls us where we are, but oh, there is a challenge that he is doing things in our life, which brings into the last thing, the kingdom change, a kingdom change. And when you look at the Sermon on the Mount on an overview, there's really three main moves that you see that are changing when Jesus says, when you accept this call and when you understand the challenge is there and bow the knee to him. The first one is this, our identity. Our identity. Look at what he says there in Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Right after the Beatitudes, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And then verse uh, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus says that this change, something changes about our identity. And this is what we always get wrong. We think that we'll change our activity and then that'll change our identity. So here's what we do. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We try real hard. Even like, listen, we even do this with good things. The 30-day Bible reading challenge, right? I'm going to read through this for 30 days straight. And on day 31, my life is totally in order now. This is great, right? And that's not the gospel. You see, we say this all the time. What you believe determines how you behave. That's why you lie, right? You're not a liar because you lied, right? You lied because you're a liar, okay, right? That's why, like, that's the sin issue, is we believe that blank will give us the most pleasure and comfort in our life. Good works, achievement. God will love me if blank. And if there's anything in that blank other than Christ, it is blasphemous. 
But Jesus says, when you understand the call in the kingdom of God, your identity changes. You're not who you are anymore. You are a new person. That's why oftentimes we are not into behavior modification here. We're into heart transformation. That's why every week we lay before you, this is who Christ is. This is what he has done. And in light of that, this is what your life should look like. That's how the New Testament is. Every book opens up with, this is God. This is the plan. This is Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes in. And then the rest of the chapters are, what are you doing? Stop doing that, right? Why? Because of the previous chapters. Because of what God has done. It's our identity, and then it leads us into our activity. Our activity changes. And do you see, like, let's just overview this. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus talks about anger. Remember that sermon, right? We, were all, we all left here murderers, you know what I mean? Anger, sex, marriage, retaliation, loving your enemies, praying, money, all of those things. Jesus says what the kingdom of God does is when it comes into your life, it sets up shop and reprioritizes everything. Everything. And do you remember the big idea that we had for like five weeks in a row through all of those? In my relationship with Jesus, what I do is not as important as why. Oh, you don't remember it? Do I need to preach the sermon again? You guys ready for this? In my relationship with Jesus, what I do is not as important as why I do it. We should constantly be asking ourselves that. And listen, if there's anyone who needs to ask themselves that question, it's Christians. It's Christians. Because what, you know what idolatry is, right? See, when I say idolatry, you think like pagan practices, just crazy stuff, right? Tim Keller says idolatry is when we take good things and make them God things. Good things. Reading my Bible. Praying. Giving, serving, loving. These things constantly creep into our heart and we try to hold them up as self-justification and say, I'm good because of this. And when you do that, bitterness is not far behind. Because when you don't see an immediate reward from that, you will become bitter. And you will begin to compare And look at other people in your life. But when we're constantly saying, I need Jesus simply because of Jesus. I need his word simply because it points me to Jesus. I need grace because it's grace. Because I'm desperate for this. Then from that moment of desperation, their true application leads out. Which leads us to the next thing. The change is in our community. It's our identity, our activity, and then our community. God is creating a people, a new people, right? He even teaches us this when we pray. We, we learn this, right? How do, what's the very first word in the Lord's Prayer? Our. Plurality, right? So it's not isolation. It's insulation. God is teaching that he's creating an entirely new brand of people. And we say this all the time. Your salvation is personal, But your salvation's not private. God has never expected you to live this Christian life on its own. So listen, the kingdom of God is not a place, just a place that you're going. It's a life that you're living in the here and now. And listen, I have to ask you this question today before we jump back in in the journey. Listen, this is the first Sunday in 2018. And the question that I would love for you to leave this place with is, 
where's the kingdom of God breaking in in my life? Because Jesus teaches us that it breaks in through forgiveness. Letting that person go. Free them of the debt. Through giving. Through the way you read the scriptures. The band's going to come up and lead us in a time of response, but we have to leave it in a certain way. Because how is this kingdom so different than any life that we live? Because this kingdom is the only kingdom where the king lays down his life for you. Listen to me. Every other kingdom that you try to build will require you to sacrifice for it. If it's your kids, if it's your job, if it's your marriage, if it's anything, it will always require that you sacrifice for it. And what Jesus says is that I'm the king who lays down his life for you. I'm going to end with this. Tim Keller says it this way. When you see Jesus caring for the poor, forgiving his enemies without bitterness, sacrificing his life for others, living a perfectly loving and perfectly sinless life, you say, I can't do that. And you're right. You can't. Jesus Christ only as an example will crush you. You will never be able to live up to it. But Jesus Christ as the lamb, Jesus Christ as the lamb will save you. Because on that cross, Jesus is getting what we deserve so we can get what he deserves. When you see the great reversal, it is for you. And when you see that he gave up all the cosmic wealth and came into our poverty so that you could be spiritually rich, this is what changes you. You see, the kingdom of God breaks in through surrender. And what will make you surrender most is seeing that Jesus surrendered for you. That changes everything. I'm going to pray and you're going to come to the tables and you're going to see the elements of the body of a king that was broken for you. Name another king like that. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The kingdom of God is not just a place that we are going. It's a life that we're living now. Heavenly Father, we come before you and I pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would break in through the here and now. May the kingdom of God break into our reality now. The first weekend of 2018. May we see marriages restored. May we see prodigals returned home. May we see addictions broken. And may we see the miracle of a new birth when someone crosses from death to life. And we will only see that when we see that our King was surrendered for us. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this in the holy and in the perfect and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand where you're at and come forward and partake in communion as you feel led today?